Amen. We are going to be in Romans 7 this morning. And if you were with us last week in Romans 6, Paul spent much of the time telling us a couple things. Two of the things were really this. You used to be slaves to sin. But he says, look, you have died in Christ. And since you have died in Christ, he has redeemed you in the power of his resurrection. He has saved you. And now you can be a slave to God. Again, that word slave is something that we get kind of weirded out by sometimes. The word in the Greek is doulos. It means a willing bondservant that is responding out of love. Amen? Can I tell you, you were always a slave to something and someone. You always loved what you did in your flesh. You loved what you did in, the, in sin. We still love these things. We have this flesh in us that's drawn to those things. And sometimes we willingly go serve those things. But in that same token, we should be able to willingly know that, man, it is so awesome to serve the Lord Jesus who redeemed us. And now we can walk in this newness of life. And it's so wonderful. We don't have to worry about this law keeping. We have died with Christ and therefore we have died to the law. Amen. That was established in chapter 6. But Paul is going to revisit that in depth in chapter 7. So if you're at chapter 7, say I'm there. Awesome. We're going to jump in. First three verses. It says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her, her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no, no adulteress, though she has married another man. <laughs> so right in the first three verses, what is Paul talking about? Every commentator made a point to say, this is not a commentary on marriage and divorce. This is a commentary on our stance against the law and in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Let me tell you why this is important to note. It talks about the most holy of all bonds in the law, marriage. Can I tell you that the world we live in today sees marriage as like an inconvenience? They see marriage as an old-fashioned weird thing to do. And we know that it was instituted by God to reflect that relationship that He desires with His people, right? And as we live this out, it was commanded by God to, to do these things, to walk in marriage as God has counseled. And it's the most sacred of all of those human relationships. And he says, if you think about the law in that case, the law, he says, guys, I'm talking to you that know the law. And many have said, well, does that mean just the Jewish believers in Rome? Well, they knew the law. But can I tell you, everyone knows some form of law, right? If you're not a Jew this morning who is practicing the Mosaic Law, you know some kind of code of conduct that was either from your conscience or commanded to you by man that you must fulfill to live uprightly to please God. Does that make sense? All of us have been there. The word for law is namas. It actually means in the Greek, it's this idea that any kind of conduct, any established rule, any established law... But of course, Paul knows that, hey, there's people in the church that were still trying to say, hey, yes, I'm saved by faith, but I have to keep the law of Moses. I have to add to this salvation. 
The book of Galatians tells us over and over how foolish, right? Who bewitched you? I believe it's Galatians 3.1. It says, who bewitched you that you would go into these things again? And see, Paul says, think about marriage. <laughs> if man can be delivered from the most, the most important of all laws, and it's by death, <laughs> that's how you get delivered. Have you died in Christ? You would say, yes. Then doesn't that mean you've been delivered from the law? <laughs> Think about this. If a woman is married and her husband dies, it says here she's not an adulteress to go marry someone else because the, law, the, the, the husband has died. And this is, again, setting in this, this, this sentiment. It has to be understood that Jesus didn't call us to just supplement him in to law-keeping. I don't know if that hits you this morning. It hits me every week. Whenever, anytime I'm in the Word... My temptation is to think my time in the Word is my righteousness with God. I don't know if you guys can relate to that. If you can check your box in the morning and say, oh, I did my devotion, so I'm a good little boy, I'm a good little girl today, right? That's not where your righteousness is, amen? But can I tell you what's so beautiful about being in the Word? The law, the Word of God is a beautiful, certain, true collection of revelation of who God is. As we get into the Word... We are essentially learning more and more about who the Lord is. And as we set our minds on the things of the Lord, man, can I just tell you, we're so blessed, amen? We grow in that relationship. But to start to think that that is your righteousness, this is a tendency, I believe, for Calvary Chapel in particular. Can I be honest with you? We go, we're that church that teaches the Bible verse by verse, therefore we're the best, right? I believe it's the best way to teach the Word of God, but that's not, that doesn't make us more righteous, amen? But it is, we practice it because it reveals who God is. But the fact that, now, man, if I bomb out this week, if you bomb out this week, whether it be in thought, whether it be in deed, whether it be in word, your righteousness was Jesus Christ. You need to confess and repent these things, right? 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is important because some will read these first three verses and go, cool, I died to sin and I died to the law, right? That means I can do whatever I want now, right? <laughs> Take a look at verse 4. It says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the law. <laughs> this is important. He was using marriage as an illustration that if the most sacred of all bonds can be broken by death, you being died have been delivered, or being dead in Christ have been delivered from the law. He says, but, note this, you've been married to the one who redeemed you from the law. Can I ask the married folks in here, do you get to live the way you used to live when you were single now that you're married? You don't, right? And that can mean many different things. First of all, you better not be going out on dates with other people, right? That's a very, very practical, clear thing that we don't do now. We're married. 
Can I tell you another thing? Selfishness has a way of getting refined in marriage. <laughs> you start, it should be at least. I know, this is a struggle, and I, I, you think I'm talking like some kind of professional. Please know that this is a we conversation that we're having this morning, okay? This text is for me and you and all of us, amen? The reality is that as we are married in this relationship, there's a constant dying to self if we want to do this right. To be able to, to live this out in a glorifying way, it is to say, I am no longer my own. I belong to my spouse. And together we have now become one, right? Paul says, you may have been delivered from the law, but man, you're married to Christ, the one who has been raised. And what comes with that is, first of all, the blessedness that He has redeemed us. Amen? It's not an expectation that you better be a good bride, church, or God, Jesus isn't going to love you. It's what a blessed privilege to be the bride of Christ. What an awesome thing that we are identified as such. I believe it's Ephesians 5, 23 and through 27. It talks about how Jesus, the head, right? He gave himself for the bride that is the church that he would present her as a church that is without blame, without spot. And he did this. How did he do this? Because he died in our place to redeem us. We talked about it last week when we understand what Jesus has done for us. It makes us go, man, I want to respond with that doulos type service, that love when your spouse is giving of self for you, does that draw you closer to them? It should, right? <laughs> Jesus gave everything for us. And there's this reality that we know that we have been sanctified through him once and for all, according to Hebrews 10.10. Sanctification in the sense that we have been made righteous. But there's this ongoing reality that as Jesus died for us, he also has raised us in new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Ephesians 1 tells us that we are sealed by the Spirit, and that Spirit, according to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, produces the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Can I tell you what we weren't able to do in all sincerity before we came to Jesus? Was to produce out of our flesh things like joy, love, peace, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, long-suffering. We've talked about it week after week. You may have thought you did things like that, but can we be clear? We did those things in our flesh only when it was convenient for us, when it was beneficial for us, right? Maybe I'm the only wicked one in here. Maybe everyone else loved perfectly before they knew Jesus. I don't think that's the case, right? You came to Jesus Christ and all of a sudden, even before you read the manual, right? Even before you got into this, <laughs> this thing started to happen in you. And the things you used to do aren't the things that you desire to do anymore. Something began to change. Why is this? Because you've married into this new relationship, this beautiful bond with Jesus Christ. And what we're told in these verses, in verse 5 and 6, is that you used to do certain things. You used to live for these sinful passions that were in your flesh. They were aroused by the law of God. You would hear the things not to do and you would actually say, no, I'm going to break that. I'm going to go out. You would say, I cannot uh, covet. <laughs> we're going to get in that in this section. Well, guess what I want to do now? All I want to do is covet. <laughs> when I hear something like, you know, thou shalt not lie. Man, what's, what is the thing that we desire to do? We desire to lie. Have you, any of you had to teach your kids how to lie? 
No, I've had to teach my kids not to lie. Why is that? There's this wicked sin nature in us. We've talked about it in Romans 5. That sin and that death entered the world through sin and death spread to all men because all have sinned. And we see it in everybody. We see it in ourselves. We even see it in our beautiful little children, right? They're awesome, but they're sinners, right? And as we see that, we go, man, this isn't right. But when you come to Jesus, there's a reconciliation that begins. And what should, it should look like is that, man, I'm not living and loving after the things I used to do. There should be a marked change, first of all, inwardly, amen? We're told in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that we are now the temple of the living God. <laughs> that verse terrifies me a little bit, that this is a temple. I don't take good care of the temple sometimes. But the reality is that Jesus, His Spirit is in here. And what is He doing? He's working on the inside. And I'll tell you what happens. Jesus says, the mouth speaks to things that come out of the heart, right? Can I tell you what the weirdest thing for me when I came to the Lord was? How I... I just stopped cussing one day. <laughs> now, this may be different for other people. But for me, I just saw my mouth start to change. It didn't feel right anymore. Why was that? There was something happening in my heart. And I say that because I know I'm not alone in this. You all know this experience. Amen? Something began to change. It began to produce outward action. You are not saved by the outward action. Amen? But that is a reality that it's pouring out from the inward man, this newness of life because of this marriage with the Lord. It said in verse 6 that you have been delivered from the law. But now we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. I hope, this is the one that comes to me. I hope that when you come to church on a Sunday morning, it's in the newness of the Spirit. <laughs> what I mean by that is that no one dragged you here no one forced you here. Your own law keeping did not bring you here and say, I got to check my box that I went to church today. That's the oldness of the law. We understand that, right? I have to do these things or else God's going to be mad at me. The newness of the Spirit? Man, what a blessing to be able to hear from the Lord this morning from His Word through the power of His Spirit and serve His body to edify one another. What a blessing, right? God forbid we get away from that as a church. That all this is, is consumer Christianity. What I mean by that, it was at one time in California, they used to call it California Christianity. It's the idea that everything's in a hurry. Texas, we got a good pace of life out here. I love it. We take our time out here, generally speaking. California, everything's a drive-through. Everything's pick up in your car. You don't go in anywhere. And this is the kind of deal that happens into the church as well. It's infiltrated the church where what you do is you show up, you show up at the moment. You usually miss most of worship because that's just the part where the guy sings, right? There's like karaoke or something happening, people think. And then you listen to study and you leave immediately because you got to get to like chilies to eat lunch, right? This is such a backwards way of what church is about. I am so blessed every week to see that people are coming here early and people are praying for one another. They're sharing their week with one another. They're sharing their hurts with one another. They're encouraging one another. And they're staying after and they're helping. And people are serving. No one told you you had to do this. It's what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. Amen? The law, let me tell you the difference between the law and the Spirit in my opinion. The law does this. It says, thou shall not kill. Thou shall not steal. It's all thou shall nots. 
But at no point did the law tell you what to do. It told you what not to do. It never said, thou shalt love, right? It didn't really say that. It, it was in there, but it wasn't one of the Ten Commandments. The Spirit will always go beyond just not doing things. The Spirit will actually lead you, thou shalt do. Does that make sense? Thou shalt not just love your neighbor and love the Lord your God with all your heart, as Jesus said from Deuteronomy and Leviticus 19.18, but the fact that the world thinks you're nuts for giving your time to go hang out with the kids across the parking lot, right? <laughs> On Sunday morning, you're going to get up early and take care of other people's kids. That's crazy in their minds, right? But in the newness of the Spirit, when you're called and equipped for these things, isn't it just the most blessed experience? You look forward to it. Some people will say, man, you're going to get there early and like set up chairs and things? Like, do they pay you? That's like a common question. Do you get like, a, like gift cards or something? Like, is there script involved? Do you get something? No. You know what we do? We come here not for our glorification, but for the glorification of God in the response to what He has done for us. Amen? This is the newness of the Spirit. It's not the oldness of the law. I've, it's been said that, look at <laughs> This should be a place I believe we are looking forward to getting back to every week. I am so excited. I was looking at the calendar in November and seeing all the different things that are happening here this next month. And I praise the Lord for that. Because all these things weren't my choice. There are people coming and saying, why don't we do this thing? Why don't we do that thing? That's signs of a healthy church when it's all rooted in the Lord. It's rooted in His Word. It's not just like social activities, right? They're all a desire to continue to grow with one another, to edify the body, but to glorify God. And I love it. I see the newness of, of the Spirit every time we're here together. Does that make sense? Look at what this next section is. Look at verse 7 through 8. Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness, again, that's the example he gives, unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. <laughs> so what Paul's doing here is he just explained that we've died to the law and we have this newness of the Spirit. The first thing that the wicked heart of man says is like, man, the law must have been terrible then. It's a good thing we got delivered from the law. The law was the problem, right? Well, Paul used this section to say, no, certainly not. The law is not sin. The reality is man needed to be delivered from it because man is sinful. <laughs> the problem was never the law. The problem was the sinful hearts of men. Does that make sense? And see, you could take away that, well, now that I'm in Jesus, then the law was just a terrible thing that was holding me down, right? The law just served to reveal how wicked we were. How wicked we are, amen? It tells us in Psalm 19.7, it says that the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sh sure, making wise the simple. And then I believe it's in, in Psalm 119.97, it says, How I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. These are, that's David speaking and saying, man, even in my faith, I still love the law. I love it because it reveals God's heart. It reveals God's holiness. It is the holy standard. But we also have this difficult thing, this relationship with the law, because we're sinners. <laughs> and see what it says in verse 7 through 8. This reality is, he says, it's on the contrary. 
He says, I wouldn't have known sin except through the law. And what he's doing is saying, look, sin exists, exists to reveal and to expose the wickedness in us. Romans 3.20, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the flesh, no man can be justified in his sight. For the law, it existed, for what? To expose sin. It existed to reveal sin. And we think about that. It's a tool. It's an instrument. Someone said it's like an x-ray machine. If you break a bone, you go and you, you, you get x-rayed and you're like, oh, that stupid machine, man. It showed my arm's broken, right? <laughs> no, that machine was actually quite helpful. Now we know how to fix it. <laughs> the reality is it's not the machine's fault that your arm's broken. That's the weakness of your flesh. <laughs> But this law is important to reveal these things. And Paul says, can I tell you what happens here? Let me tell you how wicked my sin is. He says, the law says things like, you shall not covet. And I don't know, maybe someone in here would sit there and go like, what does covet, what, what's that really mean? In the original language, if you take the word for covet, it actually means the desire for what is forbidden. Okay? We always just think that's like lusting for what someone else has. It's really just, it doesn't belong to you. You shouldn't be desiring that thing. And usually it results in like an, an evil jealousy, right? That kind of wicked jealousy that says, I want that thing. I would take that person out to get that thing. That's how sick covetousness can become, right? And in this case, he says, when the law said you shall not covet, you know what my sin does? My sin starts thinking about coveting. And you might say, oh, no, that's not true, right? Let me ask you something. Your wicked heart, according to Jeremiah 17, 9, we have this wicked heart, right? It's deceitful above all things. What happens when you walk by a sign that says wet paint? <laughs> oh, you see? You all laughed. You know this. Is it really wet? Why is the sign there? So you don't touch the paint. What's the first thing we do? Hey, let's just see if it's still wet. And you're like, oh, man, I got paint on my hands, right? You wouldn't have even touched the wall if the sign wasn't there. <laughs> wet cement? You know what I do? I don't even think about whether I should draw on it. I want to figure out what I'm going to draw on it, right? Oh, man, my name is going to be here for my grandchildren. Man, I'm going to write my name in this concrete. Are you crazy? It's here so that you don't do that. But my flesh sees these things, and I know we all get it, right? Oh, man, I, want, I, I got to break that, right? Paul says, this was never the law's fault. The law was trying to guide you to not do these things. He says, look at Apart from the law, sin was dead. And that's a big statement. But let's be clear on what the language is saying here. It's not saying that once the law came in, sin came in. Sin was always present. It was revealed by the law. It was revealed so that we would know just how wicked we are. And what the desire is from God for giving us his law. Can I just ask you, do you think that God gave us a law because he thought we would uphold it? No, right? He gave us the law because it revealed how holy he is. Yes, we should desire to uphold it. Amen? Are you going to? We were told in Romans 3.20, you cannot. That's not why the law exists, not to give you righteousness. But as we fall short, what we should do is cry out for a Savior. Is to say, I cannot keep this law. I cannot do these things. Even when I try, which Paul is going to explain in a little bit, I can't do it. Why? Because I see signs that say wet paint and I touch it. <laughs> Because I have this wicked sin nature. And see, before the law came, covetousness was there in the hearts of men. Go read like Genesis 6, right? 
there was wickedness on the earth to the point where God had to flood the earth. And that's crazy because we're only six chapters into the Bible at that point. You ever thought about that? Maybe if it was like halfway through, like it took time for people to get wicked. <laughs> Chapter six, God's like, got to flood the earth, man. <laughs> this is terrible. People are sinners, right? But in his goodness, in his grace, because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, according to Genesis 6, 8. It wasn't because he was righteous. It was because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was righteous in the sense that he did desire the Lord, but he didn't keep the law perfectly. We understand that, right? It was grace that God said, I'm going to give you a way out of this. But what did Noah have to do? He had to respond with obedience. Build an ark. That sounds crazy, right? We've all seen Evan Almighty, right? Like, there, maybe not, I don't know. But the reality is, it was a better depiction than that movie Noah with Russell Crowe, by the way. That was terrible. But the Bible tells us that, man, out in the desert where it hadn't rained like this before, go build an ark. Okay. And what was it, 100 and something years? 120 years, I think it was? He's building an ark. Why? Because in faith, I believe that the Lord wants to save me through His grace. <laughs> if I don't walk these things out, then there's not going to be a boat to get in, but I'm going to walk this out in faith that this is going to be a good thing for my survival here on earth, I guess. Can I tell you what the law does? It saves us from the consequences of sin. As we desire to honor it. But by no means was it ever there to give us righteousness. Does that make sense? I hope you guys are tracking with me this morning because the goal of this study, we're going to see by the end, we could have never kept the law. Legalism and law-keeping, that's not what we are, are called to do in Jesus. But there is going to be a response in the newness of spirit to not want to walk in the same things we used to. Amen? Look at what happens in 9 through 12. It says here, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. This is an interesting thing here, where Paul says, I was once alive without the law. And commentators are split on these things. They say, what does this mean? When was he alive without the law? There's a couple options here. The first one is we know, we talk about this often, right? The age of accountability. We talk about being children and there's this, uh, 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 like, we can't quite fathom the things of the Lord yet. We know generally we have that, that awareness that, hey, this isn't right, this is, this, this is wrong and whatnot. But there's that age of accountability we speak of of not understanding the things of the Lord. Some say maybe Paul's talking about before he really knew the law. I tend to lean, Pastor Chuck used to teach this way and I think it makes sense. That there was a season where Paul actually knew the law in the sense where he thought he was observing it so perfectly in his strength that essentially he was living without it. This is an interesting idea because Paul writes that he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was blameless. He was a guy that did everything that man would require of him according to the law. And in that sense, Paul would say, Tom, oh, man. I'm just so good. Look at me not, not like lying all the time, not murdering people. Look at me not picking up too many figs on the Sabbath, right? He's keeping track of all these weird things and saying, I'm doing this well. But see, at some point, as he says in verse 10, I believe it is, I'm sorry, in verse 9, it says, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That's an interesting idea. That word revived means that at one time sin was being dealt with, kind of went away, and now it's come back to life. 
I think that Paul in his mind thought that he had put sin to rest because he was observing the law so well. But when he came to Jesus Christ, the first thing he saw was, man, I'm actually a terrible sinner. <laughs> I was deceived into thinking that I had fulfilled the law in my own strength, which we know he writes in, again, Romans 3, you can't do that. It's not there for righteousness sake. You can't keep the law. We're being told all it does is provoke us to sin. And I believe when Paul came to Christ, he said, man, everything I thought I knew about being a good little boy before God, it wasn't about any of that. My heart was wicked. I was puffed up with pride. I thought that I had this all solved, Paul might say. And in verse 10, he says, the commandment, which was to bring life, I found it to bring death. <laughs> The thing that he thought, if I live this out as a good Pharisee, Paul thought at one time, I'm going to know true eternal life. Did we ever see the way that Paul was living in Acts 7 and 8? <laughs> he was not living like he had eternal life. He was living miserable. Every breath in his body was to destroy the followers of Jesus, to put women and men and children in chains and take them to jail and hope we have them destroyed. He was not enjoying life. And this is like the world. The world will say, I don't need that, man. I got everything solved. I'm doing so great. But yet they're battling depression and anxiety in numbers that we've never seen before. Post-2020, this world has the highest suicide rate ever. Have you thought about that? Why? It's not because of COVID. It's because they don't have Jesus, amen? These times of sitting by themselves in isolations for months and months hoping in truth that has turned out to be untruth has harmed them to a point to where they're hopeless. But at some point, praise the Lord for His goodness. He comes and reveals that there's no hope in any of those things. The only hope is putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? Paul thought he could put his hope in the law Paul thought he could have put his hope in his works and at some point he realized, no, this commandment was never about my outside works. It was about my heart. Think about Jesus' words when he said, these are the most important things. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I think Paul is one of these guys that said, oh, I love the Lord my God. I served him with such vigor, right? But could he say he loved his neighbor as himself? Homeboy's chaining people up, killing people. <laughs> and he's saying, do I do that? What is actually happening? My, at some point, the blinders were removed, and he said, oh my gosh, I'm wicked. Sin has been revived, and it says, therefore, the law is holy, the commandment is holy and just and good. So the commandments, the law, is not the problem. It reveals the problem is the wicked heart of men. And see, he says, the law, not only is it not bad, you know what the law is? It's holy, which means, man, this is of the Lord. It's divine. It's, it's consecrated. And also, it's good. How many people think that the law is bad often? This is an important statement from Paul. The law is not bad. The law is good. But if you try to think that your righteousness comes through it, that is bad, Amen. The law is a very helpful guide in the sense that it was leading us closer to the Lord. And you know what we have now? It's a way better than the law. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in us and guides us closer to the Lord and actually leads us to do the things the Lord would call us in to do. That's the newness of the life. Amen? Look right here. Look at 13 and 14. Paul's going to go further to explain what happens with the law. It says, 
Has then what is good become death to me? He says, certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So after explaining that the law is good, Paul is now making the point by asking this rhetorical question. He says, has then what is good become death to me? He says, certainly not. Again, the law was a good thing, but the heart of man is wicked. As the, the law came forth, not only did it reveal transgressions, not only did it show us to be sinners, but did you pick up on the words he used? Exceedingly sinful. Our sin is exceedingly sinful. What a superfluous statement <laughs> to say your sin, it's exceedingly sinful. You're like, that's kind of repetitive. Paul can't think of a better way to express this. To say, I know you think you're kind of bad. Like, if you generally ask the world, like, hey, are you perfect? They'll be like, no, no, I'm not perfect, right? But then you get the law. Like, oh, dude, <laughs> I'm not even in the arena. I'm not even playing the same sport, right? Like, I am exceedingly sinful. Paul says this is what the law serves to do. And he said in verse 14 here, he says, we know that the law is spiritual, the word here could mean divine. It is given by God himself. And Paul says, I am carnal, sold under sin. That means that at one time he was sold under the slavery and enslavement of sin, that tyrant. And he says, man, I have been sold under sin, but the law is so perfect. You know what he's saying here? How can carnal flesh uphold the divine law? Can I tell you what happens if we think we can do that? That's a pride situation, amen? When we start to begin to think that in my flesh, I can uphold the perfection and the righteousness of God. That's a wicked idea that comes from the enemy. <laughs> do you know what the very first deception was to Eve? Oh, you know, if you eat that apple, you know what's going to happen? You're just going to become like God. Think about what that is. It hits Eve in the pride, right? It says, hey, you can just become like God if you partake in this thing. It's pride that leads us into thinking that we can be like God in our own wicked flesh. And in this point, it says, no, don't do that. You're carnal. And I love it. Paul cries out, ah, I've been sold under sin. This is an important thing to note this morning. If you note nothing else, let me tell you about this verse. You cannot keep the law. You are not capable, and I say you, you know who I'm talking to? Me, right? <laughs> I am not capable of keeping the law of God because it is divine and I am carnal. Amen? This is important to note because look what Paul is going to go into. This is very important, 15 through 20. It says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. <laughs> For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice." <laughs> Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, 
but sin that dwells in me. That sounds like Dr. Seuss material right there when you read it the first time, right? You're like, if I do, who am I doing this? I'm doing that. I'm not doing this. You're like, what is going on here? Let me tell you in my experience and my opinion based on the word of God what we're talking about here. This is reality when you come to Jesus Christ. That as Paul just said, you were sold under sin. You have this flesh. Can I tell you, it is gnarly. Your flesh, though we have been raised with Jesus and though we have died with Jesus, the true resurrection of glorification has not occurred in our life yet. Amen? That's going to come in Jesus. Now, we're being sanctified day by day. That means getting cleaned up in the Lord, right? It's His Spirit doing the work. We're yielding to His Spirit. But there's this reality that since I have this carnal flesh, the things I would love to do, like the inward man, this new life that's in here in Jesus Christ, I want to do these things. And my heart's desire is to live sinless. And I think we can all agree to that. Amen? But then my flesh shows up. And he's like, hey, did you think you were going to do good today? <laughs> oh, no, I don't want to do that, right? And you have this battle. Oh, dude, you, here's, here's a real practical one. We always think of like real wicked things. It's just like, hey, don't get up and read your Bible. We just go to back to bed. <laughs> Have you had that battle as a new believer, right? As a believer in Jesus Christ, as a new creation? I have this battle all the time of like, man, I really have these great things that I want to do, but you know what else I have? Netflix, right? And you're like, what is the correlation here? Netflix in itself is not sinful, right? Well, maybe. But <laughs> the idea of spending my time in things that have nothing to do with the kingdom. When my heart says, I would love to be doing X, Y, and Z for the Lord right now. But you know what my flesh says? My flesh is like, let's just chill, man. Let's just hang out. <laughs> my flesh is the most chill guy you'll ever be. Okay, can I tell you? And I think you know this in yourself, amen? The flesh says, I don't want to do all those things. Your inward man wants to. And when Paul is saying things in this section, when he says things like, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the, with the law that it is good. That means I'm not doing the things that I desire to do. And the things I desired to do belong to really God, just like the law did. It shows that the law was never evil. I am evil. I am wicked. My flesh is a mess. And as he goes on here in verse 17, he says, it's no longer I who do it. Now he's speaking of his new creation, I. He says, but sin that dwells in me. And we say, well, wait a minute. Is this that famous cop-out where when things go bad, you're like, oh, the devil made me do it, right? <laughs> That's not what Paul's doing here. Paul is explaining something that's been called the dual nature of the believer. What this means is that on this side of eternity, absolutely, we have been born again through the power of the Spirit in, inwardly, right? Ephesians 1, we've received the Holy Spirit. We know that. But until we come to the Lord, we are A, in this flesh, B, we live in this fallen world, and C, we have a very live enemy that is oppressing us and attacking us. And the reality is, how can you avoid giving in these things? You avoid giving into your flesh? He'll tell us later in Romans 8. He says, those who live according to the flesh, they set their mind on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. Paul is saying, I want to do certain things. You know who he's talking about? His mind. His heart. This newness in spirit. But he says, man, my members, my body, my flesh, there's this old man who's lying there and he's ready to get up and take charge at any time. 
Can I tell you, if you're here today and you think, man, there must be something wrong with me as a believer because, man, I still have sin. I'm not talking habitual sin. I'm talking about, man, I still mess up, right? I'm talking about, I'm falling into these things, but I know I don't want to do this anymore. Can I tell you that Paul the Apostle would say, welcome to life as a new creation. <laughs> Can I tell you what you didn't do when you were in the world? You didn't care about these things. You used to, do, you used to waste all of your time doing the most wicked things and feel good about it. This newness of life is shown in the fact that you don't will to do those things anymore. You will to serve the kingdom of God. Amen? That is a sign, an evidence that you have been born again. Don't let Satan tell you that that is like some sign of you not being loved by God or you being wicked. Repent. Confess, confess your sins to the Lord. But can I tell you right now that, man, Paul knew this battle. And I think about this. It's so comforting <laughs> that the guy that wrote most of the New Testament is using the proper pronoun I in this section. You know what we can do, a tendency as pastors, is say, you need to do this, you need to do that. I need to do these things. <laughs> Paul says, I struggle in the battles where my flesh is still alive, and if I yield to it, death is going to come forth. One last note on this section, I have to tell you. <laughs> We said it last week. My pastor, Xavier, used to always say it, but I think he got it from Dr. J. Vernon McGee, actually. I did some more research on this, right? The idea is all of us have two dogs in the fight. Which one wins the fight? It's the one you feed the most, the stronger dog. We have two dogs in the fight, so to speak, amen? We have our will and our flesh to do the things that are just simple and easy and like just gratifying to us. But we have this new... I don't even want to call it a dog. We have this new animal in the battle, man, and it is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, amen, dwelling in us. And I can yield to it. How do I yield to it? By studying the Word, by being in His Word, by being in prayer, by being in fellowship. These are all things that are going to help me feed the Spirit to be able to actually walk out that life that matches this inward man, amen? It's very practical. It's very simple. But we all know it's very difficult in the sense that, man, it, our flesh is always there. Ask a 90-year-old man that's walked with Jesus for 50 years, 60 years, he will tell you there's still sanctification happening because his flesh is very much alive, right? Until we come before the Lord, that's when we'll be delivered from this flesh. But in the meantime, it's very frustrating, right? Look at 21 through 23. We're almost done here. It says, I find then a law... That evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So Paul says, I have examined something in my life. I have observed something as I've lived this life as a new creation. He says, let me tell you this law that I've found, this principle there is evil within me. And he says, me, I'm speaking of the one who wills to do good. Now he's talking about the inward man. He says, actually, the inward man in me, it delights in the law of God. I love that statement. I believe all of us are here this morning if we came here willingly. <laughs> we came here because we delight in the word of God. Amen. We delight in being in fellowship. We delight being in fellowship with the Lord. But again, it doesn't mean we don't have that flesh in us. That wickedness, that evil that seems to always rear its ugly head. And he says in verse 23, he says, this is the thing that I've noticed. That in my members there's this war. 
There's a battle. The law of my mind, right? It's warring against my mind, that inward man, and it's trying to bring me into captivity, into my members. <laughs> this is the battle that we still all know. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you've licked it. Maybe you're good. <laughs> Paul says, I hadn't licked it, right? I don't know what to do here. Paul says, I'm still fighting a battle every day. It's not autopilot. <laughs> there is an awareness that says, I want to desire the things of the Lord. I seek at them, but there's this battle. Distractions and oppression and sin nature, all these things are warring against me. <laughs> and it's so wild because in this section, I feel like all Paul's doing, he's just, I can relate to, I feel like he's just frustrated. <laughs> He says, the things I want to do, the Dr. Seuss section, right? I want to do them, and I don't do them. Who? Who are you talking about? I thought you wanted to do these things, Paul. The inward man. But my flesh just keeps pre preventing me from doing it, and I'm so frustrated. He says, oh, the law, it's a good thing, but it keeps showing me that I'm a sinner. And he's just frustrated, I feel like. But look at how we end here, 24 and 25. It says... Oh, wretched man that I am. <laughs> I can relate to this. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. <laughs> can I tell you what I love about verse 24 and 25? Without them, I would think, man, if Paul the Apostle can't do this, ain't none of us doing this, I think. Paul the Apostle had a revelation of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He had this radical change in his life. The guy wrote half the New Testament through the power of the Holy Spirit, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If he can't do it, none of us can do it. We should all give up. And then in verse 24, he says, I am absolutely wretched. A word that is, talks about being exhausted, miserable, just defeated. And he says, in all of this... He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Referring to his carnality, his fleshliness, this old man. And he says, who will deliver me? He says, I thank God through our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know what Paul's saying here? I don't need a how to be delivered from this. I don't need a five-step program on how to get away from this. I don't need a what <laughs> I don't need a new vice. I don't need some kind of drug to deliver me from this thing. I need a who. Who will deliver me from this? It is the person of the Lord, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen? There is no other hope to make us righteous. There is no other hope to deliver us. We have to set our mind on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love it. He says, I thank God. He went from being absolutely miserable and frustrated... But then he took his eyes off himself and he put them on the Lord and said, I thank God. He went from frustrated to praise. Is this not our life when we came to Jesus Christ? <laughs> Absolutely frustrated in our wickedness. But then we saw who the Lord is. He, in his goodness, revealed himself to us. And we responded and said, thank you, God, for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are attempting anything other than Jesus to be righteous, if you're attempting to keep the law, if you're attempting to check your church attendance, if you think that, you know, again, we've listed all the weird things that people think make them righteous, right? Crossing old ladies across the street and donating blood. They think these things will save them and enter heaven. These are not the things. You must put your trust in Jesus Christ, amen?
that you have sinned even as a new creation. You see the evidence that you were sold under sin. You must take your eyes off of that, put them on the Lord and say, I will trust in you, Lord Jesus. But even in 25, he says, So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I believe this shows that though you do take your eyes off of yourself, you put them on the Lord and you begin this new relationship with Him. Isn't it an ongoing battle? As you continue in the mind saying, I'm serving God, but there's still this flesh until I come into eternity. But the good news is, since I've trusted in the death of Jesus and I've felt that guilt been lifted from my shoulder, I've felt the indwelling of the Spirit, I've seen His results. If I have died with Christ and that has made evidence, then I can trust that I will always one day be actually resurrected with the Lord. This flesh... This sin will be finally crushed and dealt with in the sense that I will be in a place where I can no longer be tempted and sin. And I think everyone will say, hallelujah, amen. This is the reality. We are longing for that day. But I tell you, Jesus is the only solution to this issue. Let me give you one more verse before we finish. Romans 8, 3. It says, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. <laughs> Jesus is the one that has saved us. Jesus is the only one who could redeem us. And praise God, Jesus came and did so. Amen. Man, don't think you're defeated this week because you've sinned in thought, you've sinned in word, you've sinned in action. Repent of those things. Confess those things. But know that one day when we stand before the Lord Jesus trusting in His perfect sacrifice for our sins, we will be made complete in Him. We will be glorified and it will be such a great thing because right now there's a struggle, amen? Don't let that struggle knock you out of the race. <laughs> Paul wrote at the end of his life in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. It's a marathon. It is not a sprint. The enemy is trying to get you off, off track and get you disqualified and get you out of it. Come back to the Lord. Trust in Him again and walk in the newness of the Spirit. Amen? Hey, let's pray and then I'm actually going to dismiss you guys right away because we're running a little late this morning. But let me pray and we'll, we'll go for it. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness, Lord. Father, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. And Lord, I just, I pray right now for any heart in this room, Lord, that came in defeated. Lord, if they were defeated by habitual sin because they have not known you yet, Lord, they have been trusting in all the wrong things. Lord, I pray that today you would reveal to their heart that you are the only answer for salvation. And Lord, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here that came in. Lord, if they've been walking with you, whether it be in a year or a day or 50 years, Lord, whatever it is, this battle... Lord, they may be beat down coming here this morning. I pray that you would fill them with your spirit afresh today. Remind them of your love for them. Remind them, Lord Jesus, that you came, you died for their sins. They are dead to the law now. But Lord, that they would be raised to the newness of the spirit. Lord, walking after you, Lord, give them that fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, we trust in you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, I pray again, that if anyone here this morning does not already know you, that they would do business with you today. And right now, right where you sit, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ, you can do so today. 
This is where it begins for you. Today can be the day of salvation. You would pray right where you're sitting. You would say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.